Hi, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I took vengeance on a philanderer in 1914 and have been paying for it ever since. But at least I'm still pretty. We're here today to talk about Hell's Bells, the 16th episode of season 6. It aired on March 5th, 2002 and was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner with story editor credits to Stephen S. Tonight and Rebecca Rand Kirshner. This episode was also directed by David Solomon, who directs 19 episodes over the run of Buffy, starting with What's My Line Part 1, way back in Season 2. Solomon has the unhappy distinction of directing some of the least loved episodes of Buffy, including Beer Bad, Where the Wild Things Are, Listening to Fear, and most recently, Wrecked. But I don't think any of the faults of those episodes necessarily lie in the direction, and Solomon was at the helm of some favorites, too, including The Prom, No Place Like Home, and The Weight of the World. So it's good to see him in the director's chair again. Rebecca Rand Kirshner started with Buffy in Season 5 and most recently wrote one of my favorite episodes in the entire run of Buffy, Tabula Rasa. I've enjoyed her work in a lot of places, including Gilmore Girls, and it's always fun to see her name pop up in the credits. You and Anya give me hope. It's like, you two are proof that there's light at the end of this very long, long, nasty tunnel. Hell's Bells is an interesting episode in a lot of ways. It brings up questions about the nature of demon versus human evil and about vengeance being an essentially corruptive vocation. But it doesn't really answer them or even seem to look them directly in the eye. I'm not sure if the show itself is even aware that these questions are being raised, but that doesn't really matter. Death of the author, baby. If we see it, it's there. Hell's Bells has some tonal and thematic inconsistencies, some dead spots where it takes a long time for pretty much nothing to happen, and some thin jokes that don't quite land. On the other hand, it has some wonderful Willow and Tara, and some really nicely nuanced and human stuff for Buffy and Spike, and an amazing closing movement that makes the whole thing worth it for me, literal warts and all. All right, let's get into the weeds. I had seen what love could do to people, and it was hurt and sadness. Alone was better. And then, suddenly there was you. Anyone who heard Xander say that nothing on earth can stop this wedding now had to know that this episode was not going to end well. Hell, anyone who is even remotely familiar with Joss Whedon's work knows that happiness is something wished for in real life, but avoided like the plague in fiction. So while the tragedy of Hell's Bells may not be a big surprise, I mean, Happily Ever After was never in the cards for these two, it is a necessary ending for Xander and Anya, as Xander has been spending the last few years pelting her with sarcastic barbs that show how little respect he actually has for her. And her love for him seems to come from the fact that he was the closest available love interest in her orbit when she decided she wanted a more traditional life. I always found it interesting, Anya's desire for love and tradition after a thousand years of coming to the vengeful aid of women scorned. It's like the die-hard political partisan who goes so far to the end of their spectrum that they pop through an ideological wormhole and end up on the other side. My father went to seminary and became a Quaker minister and tended to the spiritual needs of his flock for years before changing his mind and becoming an atheist. It happens. And one of the things that I've always kind of regretted with Anya is that we never had the time to really explore that shift within her. 
She's a bright and funny character. I would imagine she's incredibly fun to write for. Emma Caulfield's comic delivery is deftly precise. And Xander and Anya are usually relegated to B-story comic relief. So that may be just a few reasons why we didn't explore Anya more deeply until the very last moment of this episode, which I think honestly is one of the most brilliant turns in all of Buffy. The wedding itself has never been my favorite event. We open with the classic cold open fake out, Willow and Buffy staring into the middle distance, horrified by something we can't see, until we pull out and see that they're looking in the mirror at their horrible bridesmaids dresses. The old saw that the bride chooses terrible bridesmaids dresses so that she can be the fairest of them all at her wedding is, you know, a little creaky, a little misogynistic, but Anya's tears at their beauty seems genuine, and I think she thinks they look beautiful. Maybe not as beautiful as the traditional burlap and blood larva, but you know, when you have an interspecies marriage, you compromise. All right. Let's address the interspecies thing a little bit. This is mildly spoilery because we won't get these flashbacks until a future episode, but I think it's important to note that Anya was born human and turned demon, and then back to human again. This expands our understanding of how demon as identity works, adding yet another layer of complication to the idea that demons are just evil, because we have shown and continue to show in this episode that it's much more complicated than that. So this marriage isn't interspecies. Anya is human. A human with an interesting and extremely paranormal resume, fine, but a human. Still, with a thousand years of being demonic, if not fully demon, it makes sense that her side of the aisle would be full of demons, so that's okay. What is weird, and what has always made this episode problematic for me, is the way we switch gamefully between the idea that evil and badness are not a market cornered by demons although we haven't seen them in a while, let's not forget the geek trio, and the idea that all demons are just bad, there's no way around it, they're just evil, and we can kill them with impunity simply because they are demons. Because here's what we get in this episode. Anya's demon friends, behaviorally, are nice and normal, while Xander's human family is a complete nightmare. The human side is rude, alcoholic, spiteful, and cruel. The demon side is annoyed, but willing to be polite for Anya's sake. And while thematically for this season, this is a storyline begging to be used and explored. It's just lying there dispensing the jokes. Oh, look at Uncle Rory with his gut hanging out, pretending to be electrocuted by the coffee maker. Oh, look at Kevin slash Krelvin being a deer and trying to fix it. Look at sad cousin Carol, the fat single mom who is so desperate for a man that she'll even consider Krelvin if he gets that skin condition cleared up. Xander's mother and father, though, are truly tragic and not funny at all. Looking at them, I could see why Xander would have his reservations about humanity, but not necessarily about marriage. Jessica Harris is the abused, quiet, demure little wifey, only allowing her inner seething rage to show in a few passive-aggressive remarks to Xander about not being included in any of the family pictures. Aside from that, we get no personality out of her at all. She is simply the long-suffering wife standing by her man for... I guess, fear of becoming Fat Cousin Carol if she doesn't? Tony Harris is an alcoholic nightmare, spiteful, mean, and abusive. He is allowed to behave like a bratty little child, and no one challenges him, except Buffy, who, while dragging him away from the bar, lets him know in no uncertain terms that if he tries to lay a hand on her, he'll pull back a bloody stump. So here we have terrible humans and polite demons laid out for the jokes instead of for the deep thematic resonances this mix could bring to a season that really tries to explore the complexities of evil, be it human or demon. 
we have another appearance of the irrepressibly good-natured Clem, whose addition I really enjoyed in this setting, and a handful of terrible humans. This thematic fruit is ripe for the picking. And yet, we have this guy, who turns out to be a demon that also started out as human, who was a cheating jerk and was cursed into demon form and tormented in a hell dimension by Anya. He claims to be Xander from the future and shows Xander some faked memories in which Xander eventually kills Anya. Xander runs out into the sunniest rainstorm that I have ever personally witnessed, and then it's a lot of killing time. More terrible humans, demons getting a little more pissed off, Buffy juggles lemons to amuse the crowd, and then a full-on brawl breaks out. The place descends into chaos, Anya challenges fake Xander, he tells her the truth and resumes his demon form, and then Xander returns, smashing his head in with a plinth and everyone cheers. Let's take a look at that again. Everyone cheers. This guy told a lie, a lie. Getting some vengeance on Anya, who has done much, much worse than that to him alone. Forget her thousand year tenure doling out vengeance on the regular. I'm not gonna argue that this guy has no sin on his balance sheet. I'm sure he does, but he just told a lie. But because he's a demon, in a world where we have been talking for a long time, but especially this season, about the complicated nature of good and evil. He suddenly deserves to die brutally, and when he does, even the other demons stand up and cheer. If this had been a human head that Xander had smushed like a grape, that would have been a seriously disturbing moment. And for all of the demons in that room who just saw one of their own brutally murdered in front of them simply because he was one of them... I really don't get the cheering. And in the end, this is why this episode has always left me feeling kind of flat. We reduce everything down to the simplest joke. Anya's practicing of her somewhat silly vows, the ugly bridesmaids' dresses, the circus folk demons, and then resolve our A story in a way that seems to completely forget the complexities we've been working on this whole season, that demons don't have the market cornered on evil and humans don't have it cornered on good. Just look at Clem, cheerfully perpetuating the circus folk story as he works the crowd. And look at Mr. Harris, whose behavior that day was way worse than our bad guy. But if Xander had bludgeoned his dad with a plinth, I don't think anyone would have cheered. So it's a missed opportunity for deeper themes and a quick jump to the jokes. Until we get to the end. Until Xander tells Anya that he can't marry her. Until Anya, numb with shock and grief makes her way slowly down the aisle, bleeding and alone. And then we see her in black limbo as de Hoffren makes her an offer for a new life, or an old one, depending on how you want to look at it. Now, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I am an Anya defender. I love her. I would agree that she's sometimes used as a comedy mule, the person who carries the jokes even as they bend to breaking the back of the character, and that is a tragic misuse of Anya. Just because Emma Caulfield can carry the jokes doesn't mean she always should. And as she turns her face to look at de Hoffren, we don't need to hear her answer to know what she's going to say. It's a bold turn for Anya, choosing demon over human in a season that examines the essential moral nature of the two states of being. And now we can take her seriously again. And I want to take her seriously because as funny and fun as Anya is, there's some real meat on that bone and it's about damn time someone realized it. I think we'll go. Go where? Your place? Yeah, I suppose. 
That was the idea. Yeah. Evil. Of course. Sadly, there isn't much Buffy and Spike in this episode, but that makes sense. This isn't really about them. Spike shows up at the wedding with a nameless girl in his arms. Spike refers to her only as his date, and even the girl doesn't bother to name herself. I don't know if maybe SAG rules require a higher rate of pay for named characters, but I suspect it's just that she could honestly be anyone and it wouldn't matter. Her only purpose is to make Buffy jealous, and she seems okay with that, so, you know, fair enough. Buffy is too busy to pay attention to Spike for most of the episode, but we do get a really lovely moment between Spike and Buffy where she admits that it hurts to see him with someone else, and Spike thanks her for telling him that. This can be read as an admission that he's happy to hurt her, but I don't think that's it. I think it makes him feel better to know that on some level she did care for him, that she does care for him, and he thanks her for her kindness and letting him have that, even if it's not true. Although I think it's true. Buffy has never lied to Spike. She hasn't needed to. She's never cared what he thought of her. She never cared about sparing or hurting his feelings. And it would seem weird for her to do that now. So I do believe that it hurt her. And I do believe that she cared for him. Buffy had the chance to see something in Spike that not a lot of people are ever going to see. And even though he's a monster and has always been a monster, he's also other things. He's complicated and that may not change the reality of this untenable situation but it remains true and it's nice that these two can comfortably for the moment at least hold that complication between them and smile at it it's an incredibly human moment for both of them and it shows a sweetness and genuine caring for each other that is the reason why there's a spuffy ship want me to hold it shut for you oh okay are you guys even listening i need feedback people we don't get much Willow and Tara in this episode, but what we get is very sweet. Willow has been getting better, and the essential connection between these two hasn't faded at all. They share sweet looks as they work together, getting Anya into her wedding dress. And when the brawl breaks out, Tara is mildly damseled again as she is helplessly swept into the melee, and Willow pulls her into safety. While I would give anything to be able to go back in time and convince someone on that staff to swap those roles, please let Tara rescue Willow for once. I still can't help but sigh as they smile at each other. Tara and Willow, y'all. Tara and Willow. When you were a vengeance demon, you were powerful. At the top of your game, you crushed men like him. It's time you got back to what you do best. Don't you think? While Hell's Bells fails to examine the complications of demon evil versus human evil, it does raise some interesting questions about the nature of vengeance. Presumably, the guys that Anya punished deserved, you know, something. They were bad guys who did bad things and broke the hearts of the women who loved them. But vengeance isn't a stainless vocation. Whether or not someone has done something bad and deserves punishment, vengeance has a moral splashback effect on the person who deals it. I think this is why when Halfrek appears in Older and Far Away, she makes that correction. We prefer Justice Demon, FYI. Karmically, I think Hell's Bells comes down on the side that Anya's years as a vengeance demon came back to bite her, and her deep desire for a happy traditional life means that this is the one thing she can never be allowed to have because she doesn't deserve it. 
And let's not forget, these women are not born demons. They're born human and given the choice from Dehofren, the same way he offered Willow a job as a vengeance demon after the events of Something Blue. Most demons are just born that way. Vengeance demons actually get to choose. They choose freely. And that matters. So Anya chose vengeance and never chose not to have it. Her amulet was destroyed. She lost that job. She did not quit. She hasn't been torn up with guilt in seeking redemption the way the angel has, but we know that she's responsible for a fair amount of mayhem and suffering. Anya has not sought nor even seemingly spared a thought on guilt and redemption, and that's okay. Honestly, Angel's constant hair shirting gets old after a while. But still, if you want the goods, you have to earn them, and there is no evidence that Anya has ever looked back on her vengeance demon days with even the slightest twinge of regret. No understanding of the pain that she caused, and no apparent consciousness of the splashback nature of vengeance. Her soul is stained with the pain she inflicted over the years, but she doesn't seem to notice or care. And this brings us back to our demon versus human discussion from earlier, right? A demon, simply by virtue of being a demon, deserves bludgeoning with a plinth for telling a lie. But what does Anya deserve? Do we see her vanishing future with Xander as a just punishment or a rescue from a man who never respected her? Is there such a thing as righteous vengeance? Can you exact vengeance on someone without it staining your own soul, regardless of whether or not they deserve it? These are interesting questions, and I don't know where the show comes down on it. I honestly don't. But what I see is a woman in a bad relationship with a guy who doesn't respect her being saved from a future of pain and loneliness. And the irony of this vengeful act from a former victim being the very thing that sets Anya free, I kind of like it. I don't know if it's deliberate, but I kind of like it. I thought they were happy. They were. I know they were. They were supposed to be my light at the end of the tunnel. I guess they were a train. In a September 2001 interview with AV Club, Joss Whedon presented the writer's directive. In terms of not giving people what they want, he says, I think it's a mandate. Don't give them what they want. Give them what they need. Fiction can absolutely be a place for working out fantasy happy endings, but the road to those endings needs to be hard in order for that happiness to feel earned. We need to work for it, suffer for it, and fail for it. And once that happiness is achieved, once the thing desperately wished for is attained, then the story is over, because story is about earning the thing, not having the thing. I would hardly say that Xander and Anya are the thing, and their sad end has been slowly seeded as necessary for a long time in the seemingly endless volley of sarcastic slings and arrows that Xander shoots at Anya, showing his complete lack of respect for her. And while from Anya's perspective, this is the worst thing that could have happened, ultimately, even though she didn't get what she wanted, she got what she needed. That'll do it for today. Until next time, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and I may be dead, but at least I'm still pretty. See you later. Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Chipperish.